There's no better time to become a member of the DSR network. Later this month, we'll be announcing a major media partnership to our ever-expanding lineup of podcasts, bringing you even more insight and analysis than ever before. Members enjoy an ad-free listening experience, bonus content for virtually all of our shows, an invitation to the member-only Slack community, an evening newsletter recapping the day's top stories, and more. Best of all, if you become a member in the month of October, you can take 50% off the membership price for the first month. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code SPOOKY at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code SPOOKY. Thank you very much for your support. Hello and welcome to your daily podcast from the DSR Network. I'm David Rothkopf, one of your hosts. Of course, we are joined, as always, by Chris Cottenoir and Riley Fessler. How are you doing, Chris and Riley? Doing great, thanks. Excellent, as always. Great. Um, We're going to try to go through a couple of the headlines we think you ought to be looking at today. Try to add a little bit of value to each one of them um, in a quick 10-minute take on the day. Chris, what are you looking at today? Um, so the first the first story I'm looking at is Biden's trip to Israel. We reported a bit about it yesterday. Um, it'll be the first visit by a U.S. president um, while Israel's at war. Obviously, comes on the heels of Blinken's tour of the Middle East, um, and you know I think it shows. Um, decisive action by the United States and the Biden administration. I saw your appearance this morning on Morning Joe, where you talked about your article and Benjamin Netanyahu's political futures, but but you also raised the points about Biden's um, you know, visit and sort of his, his the steps he's taken in this conflict. Um and lots of people are tweeting about this, including our friends Michael Weiss and Mark Polymeropoulos. Um, so, you know, that's kind of the first thing I'm looking at. Well, let me let me jump in on that. I, I did. I, I was on Morning Joe this morning. For those of you who, if this were on video, you'd see that I'm still wearing a necktie, which gives you a sense of how seriously we take this discussion. But, um, I, you know, in talking about the Biden visit, one of the things I said was, um, th- th- not only is it the first time U.S. president has ever gone in the midst of a conflict there, um, and there were real concerns, there are still real concerns about the security aspects of it, uh, but that the moment his foot touches the ground, he will be the most popular politician in Israel. And that's a remarkable thing, you know. Um, the, the relations between the U.S. and Israel have ebbed and flowed. Uh, the prime minister is hugely unpopular right at the moment because of all the tension that existed before this attack, and then subsequently people sense that he may have helped uh, leave Israel vulnerable for this attack. Um, but the Biden trip has two goals. One of the goals of the Biden trip is public. Go there, show solidarity with Israel. But the other, and this is much more in keeping with what Secretary Blinken's been doing in his really tireless diplomacy around the region, is to ensure 
that Israel keeps humanitarian issues front and center, uh, to work behind the scenes to deal with issues like hostages, to work behind the scenes to deal with issues like containing uh, this this conflict and keeping it from escalating, um, and also to focus on what happens next. Uh, at, you know, what if Israel goes in and eradicates Hamas? Who rebuilds Gaza? How does that get paid for? Who rules Gaza? Who's in charge? Uh, these are big open questions. Uh, I think there's a sense among many in Israel with whom I've spoken that the government has not really addressed them yet. Uh, and I think there's a lot of gratitude, not just for Biden's solidarity, but for the commitment of the Biden administration, and that includes Secretary Blinken, Secretary Austin, um, National Security Advisor Sullivan, and the president to go in and make sure that all the key priorities are front and center, not just uh, the one, and which is an important one, but not just eradicating Hamas. Uh, Riley, what do you got? Well, the main thing that's been dominating my feed is Jim Jordan's bid to become the speaker. Reports I'm seeing say that six Republicans are still kind of holding out against him while three are leaning against him. Uh, the latest numbers I show say that he needs to only lose three Republicans to be able to be elected speaker today as one is um, back in Florida for a funeral. So he's really pretty close to closing out on that, but he still needs to get a couple more. Uh, and he's been getting a little bit of outside help from Sean Hannity, which is kind of another story about this that has been really grabbing a lot of Twitter's attention with Sean Hannity's team sending out emails as a pressure campaign to Republican holdouts in Congress, which is just kind of a bizarre use of a supposed journalist's power. Well, yeah, that emphasis on supposed there. But um, uh, the estimates I've seen are between 12 and 20 people are are not yet committed to Jordan. Uh, the first vote will take place at noon today, which means many of you will be listening to this after that. Uh, there could be several votes. Uh, he can only afford to lose three in the first round with uh, the one absent congressman, but I think there's a belief that that absent congressman will be back for the second or third vote. Um, and there is a, a kind of a general sense that one of the things that's working on Jordan's favor um, is uh, fatigue. You know, you, there, we're two and a half weeks into not having a speaker. The Republicans know they look like crap for not having a speaker. Jordan apparently is like, you know, out there saying, oh, you want a farm bill? Okay. You know, I've never supported a farm bill in 16 years in the Congress, but I'll support one now if you support me. So he's also, you know, sort of politicking hard for this. Um, uh, the question, of course, is whether having somebody who's known as a flamethrower like Jim Jordan is actually going to render a dysfunctional Congress less functional or whether there will be some awakening uh, on the part of Jordan and his colleagues that if they continue this way, it's going to have a cost in next year's elections. And there are some signs of that. I am a uh, skeptic myself, but you know, there, there has, there's one thing that's been floated out there is that Jordan will support um, a continuing resolution to get around another government shutdown threat. Uh, if there is a small haircut to budget spending, like 1%. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. Um, Chris. 
Yeah, just just a quick follow up question on that because I've I've been following that too, and I have another story I want to bring up. But what's the calculus here for the Democrats? In in you know when 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 we initially talked about this, thought it unlikely that Kevin McCarthy would lose his speakership. Uh, Hakeem Jeffries played a video to the Dems of you know essentially calling out McCarthy on all of the terrible things that he's done. But it seems to me that he was, at the very least, willing to not let the government shut down. So what's the calculus for the Dems, knowing that you could have a person in that position who's maybe worse than Kevin McCarthy? Well, you know, I, I have to say, I, I, I don't think the Dems calculus f- factors into it that much. The Dems... Um, have voted as a as a block. Um, they will continue to vote as a block. The reason McCarthy is not the speaker, the reason Scalise did not make it as a speaker candidate, the reason that Jordan is the leading candidate, is Republican internal politics. I think the Democrats have felt that they needn't bail out uh, the Republicans. Uh, I am certain that they would not do that without actually getting some concessions, none of which have been on the table. Um, and I think there is a small one in a million hope that, you know, the Republicans, if this goes on, you know, and, and, and Jordan can't get it and things look chaotic, that maybe you will get three or four Republicans that say, you know what, time to move over and, and let Hakeem Jeffries be the speaker. Um, and so I think their strategy has essentially been to, to um, lay back. You know, I th- you know, there's an old saying, uh, something along the lines of, you know, if your enemy is 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 defeating himself, you know, don't stop them. And I think that's been their approach. The other story I've been paying attention to is we reported, and it it was been it was reported across a number of outlets that the Biden administration made a difficult decision to send attackums uh, to Ukraine, um, and we hadn't heard much about whether that was taking place until this morning where several outlets, including Politico and CNN, um, I saw a tweet from Natasha Bertrand, where not only are Ukrainians um, using attackums, which the United States apparently sent in secret to surprise the Russians, but they seem to be having an impact on the Russian... um, you know, airstrike capabilities and that they've destroyed uh, helicopters from reports um, from reports that I've seen. Well, it's a big deal. It, it, I mean, it's a big deal story. And if it weren't for the Israel story and the Jordan story and the Trump gag order story, you know, this would be seen as a potential turning point in the war in Ukraine. Our friend Michael Weiss has uh, been tweeting a lot about this today, and I encourage everybody to follow him on Twitter. Um, uh, Dmitry Perovich, who's been on our podcast, was tweeting about this, and there have been multiple sources that have confirmed it. Apparently, what happened was the U.S. sent the attackums several weeks ago secretly. Um, they were put in place, and the first notable usage of them was at Berdyansk uh, Airfield, where the Russians had a number of uh, aircraft, notably helicopters, alligator-type helicopters, and the report is 
that as many as nine of those helicopters were destroyed. This is exactly the kind of longer-range precision strike that people thought the attackums would be used for. President Zelensky made a statement saying that he thought that this was, uh, you know, uh, it wasn't direct, but he, he was clearly referring to this and said, you know, this was a sign that our request for weapons um, was well uh, um, uh, well made and, and that this will be of value. Ukraine, you know, we haven't been talking about it a lot, but in the past couple of weeks, they've made considerable ground gains. Um, uh, they've had a big impact in the Black Sea on the Russian fleet, despite the fact that they have no fleet of their own. And this attackums thing could make a difference. So while we're, that's not front and center right now, I think it's important to keep it in mind. I would also add, by the way, that Mark Polymeropoulos on our show with him the other day said, where are the attackums? Hmm. Well, Mark, they're there and they're using them. Riley, what, what do you have? Yeah, you just alluded to this one, but the new gag order on Trump uh, by Judge Chutkin has been making a lot of waves on on Twitter and social media, especially from the MAGA crowd that is completely up in arms. And you know, this this gag order is pretty specific in its application. It it specifically says that he can continue to campaign and even to criticize the Justice Department and Biden, but is not allowed to attack witnesses or specific prosecutors and courtroom staff. So it's pretty specific in its focus, but of course that isn't stopping the MAGAverse from screaming from the rooftops, this is the herald of our new banana republic and that free speech is dead as we know it. So Judge Chutkin clearly is bending over backwards to be sensitive to the issues of Trump's First Amendment rights as a candidate. And so she's saying if he wants to criticize Biden, if she wants to criticize the, if he wants to criticize the Department of Justice, that's fine. Um, uh, she did not even was not even specific about criticism of herself, uh, which Trump, by the way, leveled at her within hours of this decision. But if he's going to go after the special prosecutor, or and I think she in the hearing yesterday indicated she was particularly upset by this, take, go after the special prosecutor's family or go after employees of the court, or ultimately go after witnesses, that was not permissible because it would never be permissible in any other case. How she holds him account, what the penalties are, that remains to be seen. But just as Trump's uh, attorney uh, argued in court yesterday, and Trump argued, I think, in Iowa last night, um, uh, they're going to make the case that this is an effort to muzzle him because he's so far out in front in this race. Uh, of course, he's not in front uh, in in the in the head-to-head with Biden um, in in many of the polls. Uh, he's only in front of the other Republican candidates. The other thing that I should say, though, is in the past two or three days, because Trump went after Hezbollah, I mean, comp- complimented Hezbollah, went after Bibi Netanyahu because Bibi Netanyahu complimented Biden, and because of this, you've started to see a little bit more aggressive behavior on the part of the candidates opposing Trump. And that includes uh, Chris Christie, who, who, who called Trump uh, uh, you know, a fool, I think, four times in relationship to his, his foreign policy, um, as well as DeSantis, Nikki Haley, and so forth. So it's a very interesting development. 
the real push is, I mean, the real, you know, sort of place where the rubber will meet the road is the next time he does it. And, you know, what does she do then? Um, does she sanction him? Tell him, you know, he's got to write a check for $10,000. Uh, how many of those checks before she says you're getting an ankle bracelet, you have to stay home. It, 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 it'll be very interesting to watch. My guess is she doesn't want to get there. I suspect his lawyers don't want to get there, but nobody controls Donald Trump, so we'll see where it ends up. Uh, I, I think these are good stories. I, I, I think uh, uh, the thing to watch in the day ahead is the Biden trip, uh, the, the, the vote for Jim Jordan, um, uh, and I don't think we'll see a lot of movement on the Israel invasion of Gaza while Biden is there. So I think that may now be a couple of days off. It may not be immediately imminent, but of course, we'll cover it every day right here on our daily podcast, our evolving daily podcast, which I'm uh, delighted to be part of because it's nice to see Chris and Riley first thing every day. Uh, And we hope you will join us back here whenever you listen to The Daily. Until then, bye-bye.